If you have a Bible, you can take it and turn to the book of Acts, and you can just head right to the end there, Acts chapter 28. We'll be all over the place in Acts, but we will um, kind of tee off from Acts 28, the last two verses there, verses 30 and 31. This is the 47th and final sermon uh, in our series through the book of Acts. Um, just kind of for my own, I don't know, curiosity, and, and maybe it's of a blessing to you. I printed off our big ideas from every sermon. Um, it'll probably be, I think, 45 because or 44, because we did an intro sermon and we did a summary in the middle, and then this is a summary. But if as you read through the book of Acts, you'd be interested to have that along uh, as it, within that study, uh, you're welcome to take them. They're back on the on the music stand there. But this is the, the final one for now. Uh, and since the beginning of our journey, we've said that the book of Acts is not just a description of what God has done in the past, but it's an invitation. It's an invitation to every spirit and dwelt child of God through faith in Jesus to join in on the unstoppable, ever-expanding, spirit-empowered spread of the good word of Jesus to all people for the glory of God. And each week, this book has invited us and encouraged us to be a part of what God is doing in this world as the gospel of Jesus goes forth. Another way to think about the spread of the good word of Jesus is to call it the building of God's kingdom. Jesus came, and when he first came, he was announcing the kingdom from the very beginning of his ministry, declaring that the kingdom of God had broken into this world through him and his ministry. And through his words and his, his actions described in the gospel, he helps us to see and to understand the nature of God's kingdom. In a similar way, the book of Acts paints a picture for us of what God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven will look like. Acts shows us how God's people should live and act and speak in this world as we await the return of King Jesus. And Luke communicates that not by giving us a, a list of principles or rules or characteristics of God's kingdom. Rather, he has shown us through the people and the, the, the events and the stories of the early church, what the power of the kingdom of God manifested through the spirit of God looks like as it is forming in and, and through us. Uh, this is what good works of literature or film do. Often a, a novel or a movie is great because it shows you things rather than telling you things. Um, I remember watching a, a movie with Andrea where this character had gone through a series of experiences and came to this point where there was just this, this point of significant realization, all the dots connected. And you could tell, like you, we'd tracked with him, we'd, we'd gone through the same things watching the movie, and you could see it in his eyes that he finally understood. And then the director and writer totally ruined it because he just had this big monologue describing what we all already knew because the director had done a really good job of showing us what the journey that he had been on. He didn't need to tell us what had happened. Now, I say that and now I'm going to try to explain things and, and give you principles because we've just read this great story that has shown us the kingdom of God and now I'm trying to give you principles of what the kingdom of God looks like. So hopefully I don't ruin the book of Acts for you. Um, but hopefully my, my goal is to just bring some things into focus. Um, 
Acts may be a little bit less accessible to us here in the 21st century than maybe a, a movie that we've watched. And so I want us to try to see some of these principles of what the kingdom of God look like, looks like. So my goal is, is for us having heard these stories for the past year and a half, I want to try to identify some of the principles of, of what God's kingdom look, looks like as they arise out of these stories in the book of Acts. I want us to see how Acts reveals to us three things about God's kingdom. How, how it reveals to us the nature, the power, and the endurance of God's kingdom. The nature, the power, and the endurance of God's kingdom. And by showing those, it invites us as members of this kingdom here and now uh, who are awaiting the fullness of the, of, of the kingdom when Christ returns. It shows us how to live and act as citizens of this of this kingdom. As I think about the, the book of Acts and I think about these, this kingdom idea, the word that comes to, to my mind is, is epic. I, I, I'm not cool anymore, but I think, I don't know if I ever was, but I think that that's a word that people are using. Things are, are epic, right? Um, and so as I think about Acts and you think about this storyline, there's nothing else that deserves that sort of, that description. Acts is, is epic, and the kingdom of God and what it's accomplishing is, is amazing. So we're going to think about the whole book of, of Acts, and in trying to do that, if you've ever done uh, Fellowship of the Word things with us, you know that one of the great ways to do that, to understand the whole purpose of a book, is to to think about the beginning and the end and try to understand how the author is taking us from where, where he or she started all the way to the, to the end and the conclusion and, and how it's connected throughout. So when we look at a whole book, we're asking things like how, where, and with whom does the book of Acts start and how, where, and with whom does it, does it end? Are there similarities? Are there differences? What are the comparisons and the contrasts that we can make between how Acts starts and how it ends so that we can understand where Luke wanted to take us? Well, we know that the book of Acts begins with the resurrected Jesus teaching his disciples about the kingdom for 40 days and then ascending to heaven after promising to send the Spirit to a group of 120 believers that were gathered in this upper room in Jerusalem. So resurrected Jesus, teaching about the kingdom, the ascension, the promise of the sending of the Spirit. And then the book of Acts ends with these verses in Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. So after declaring and announcing judgment on those who had rejected the message of the gospel, Luke says of Paul in verse 30 of chapter 28, he lived there, that's in Rome, two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, given some of the amazing things that we've witnessed in the book of Acts, given its epic nature, if you'll let me call it that, this ending feels anticlimactic to me. Uh, maybe, like me, you find it also interesting that it ends with Paul in prison. He's still there. Uh, we could say in some ways that Paul's story is not resolved. We don't know what happens to him, according to the book of Acts, at least. Yes, he, was, he got to Rome. Jesus had promised that would happen, and, and he's there. Um, 
but he has not yet stood before Caesar. So we don't know, is he gonna be condemned? Is he gonna be released? Is Paul just gonna waste away in prison? We don't know any of that. We're not told it here at least. And because of that missing information, we're at least in part reminded that while Paul is a, a central figure, especially from chapters 13 through 28, the book of Acts is not about Paul. Paul wasn't even there at the beginning of the book of Acts. He's here at the, at the end, but he wasn't there for some of the major things that happened. Rather, what we find here at the end of Acts that was at the beginning is the good word about Jesus. Paul is not central, but the message that Paul proclaimed is central. And the message proclaimed by Paul is the same one that's found at the beginning and then throughout the entire book. It's the good word about the kingdom of God and the person of Jesus Christ. Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, just as it happened at the beginning. As we, um, it's the, the same message that, that we are to join in and proclaim, announcing that Jesus is Lord in Christ, that he is, he is King and Savior, and we're to call people to be a part of this kingdom that we are called into. And, and so as we flesh this message out, think with me first on the nature of God's kingdom. That's the first, as we think about what God's kingdom is and how it's described in the book of Acts, think about the nature of it. Sometimes in order to learn something, you have to unlearn preconceived ideas about that subject. So uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a very fast typer. Uh, I use more than two fingers. I don't just use my index fingers, but I don't type like I'm supposed to. And I've, I've tried to learn, um, but I think I just have too many bad habits to overcome. And so I haven't figured it out yet. And for the disciples and for others, including us, to learn about God's kingdom, it seems like sometimes we need to unlearn some things, unlearn preconceived ideas about what the gospel is saying or about, about what the kingdom is. And so we need, in, in many ways, Acts is undoing some of our preconceived ideas about what God's kingdom is and what the gospel, the good news is so that it can, he can replace it with what God really is doing. And so Luke shows us um, that there were some pains in, in doing that, that for people to shift their thinking about God's kingdom in this world and, and, the, and who the Messiah would be, that that was very difficult. One of these shifts in thought that help us to understand the, the nature of the kingdom is, is Acts tells us that God's kingdom is not physical, but spiritual. God's kingdom is not physical, but spiritual. In other words, when Jesus ascended, he declared that it wasn't an earthly throne that he had come to sit on, but it was a heavenly one. That, that he was exalted not as the king of the Roman Empire, but as the king over death and as the Lord over all. And when the, the Spirit filled God's people on the day of Pentecost, Peter declared that Jesus' death was not his defeat at the hands of his murderers, but it was rather what allowed him to rise from the dead and be exalted as Lord and Christ. Maybe you remember his conclusion on the day of Pentecost. We spent a lot of time in Acts 2. And Paul concludes in Acts 2.36 by saying, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And the kingdom of Jesus where Jesus is Lord and Christ, King and Messiah, is fundamentally spiritual, not physical or earthly. Now, 
I say that, but of course God's kingdom is, is worked out in our daily, very physical, very real, very nitty gritty lives. We may not see Jesus sitting on a literal throne, but Jesus's kingship is what we live under and, and it's, it's how we live in this world. And so, so his rule and his reign over we who are his people means that we have to live differently here and now that we are to live in submission to him, seeking to do as he commanded. And the early church shows us what that looks like. The early church shows us that being part of this kingdom where Christ is king means that we live differently. We live in love and we live in community with one another. That those who are a part of God's kingdom are more important to us than, than those who just live in the nation where we live that that's where our identity lies, is within the fact that we are God's people, that our, our fellow believers are our family, uh, that we have all things in common is what it looked like in the early church, that we break bread together, that we center our lives on the worship of Christ and the mutual encouragement of one another, that like Barnabas, we give sacrificially what we have for the good of everyone, that like Paul modeled, we serve one another in love and we announce the gospel with boldness. We've seen in the book of Acts that wherever the gospel arrived, people began to live differently. They lived like Jesus was king. Caesar was still Caesar. But for these folks that had put their faith and trust in Christ, Jesus was king. And so too, God's kingdom is to change how we live, what's most important to us, how we fellowship in community. Under this then, we could point out one of Luke's major burdens in the book of Acts as we think about the nature of the kingdom. So the kingdom is not physical, but spiritual. And therefore, God's kingdom is not subversive to human governments, but it's committed to the good of all. God's kingdom is not subversive to human governments, but it's committed to the good of, of all, of all people. Peter and and Paul and the other early church leaders and, and members were being branded as revolutionaries by some. They thought they were trying to overthrow Rome. But again and again, we find that Luke is showing us that they were innocent of these crimes against the, the ruling government. They weren't trying to overthrow the government. In Ephesus, remember, a riot breaks out. Well, it wasn't the Christians who started the riot. It, was, it wasn't led by disciples of Jesus. It was led by local artisans who were finding it hard to sell idols to people who trusted in Jesus. Surprise, surprise. The community of, of Jesus' followers wasn't concerned with the overthrow of Rome, but with the flourishing of God's kingdom. Because where God's kingdom flourishes, blessings flow to everyone who walks with him, and even over, they overflow to those who don't. Paul wasn't trying to cause riots to, or trying to reform the government. He was trying to help people see that all that they were looking for, everything that their hearts were longing for, was found in the person of Jesus Christ. And so as, as we join in on this proclamation of the gospel, as the, the building of the kingdom, we do it not to try to seize earthly power, but we do it sh announcing this, this news that is good for all people. It's good for the, the flourishing of all people, and it leads to the glory of God. So God's kingdom is, is not earthly, but it's, it's spiritual. God's kingdom is not about subversive, uh, revolutionary actions. It's about the good of all people that's found when we follow and walk in God's ways. 
and it's, it's good for all people. And it's that definition of all that also provided this somewhat of a, a shift in people's understanding of the kingdom. This is the shift, that God's kingdom is not limited to the Jewish people, but is open to all nations. God's kingdom is not limited to the Jewish people, but it's open to all nations. Uh, it's hard not to read the book of Acts and see that that's something Luke is helping us to see, that transition that's going on. And that was a hard transition. That was a hard thing to, to unlearn or even just to see that that's actually how God had always been working. It's one of the big themes, even to the, the last chapter. It's questions like, how, how could Jesus be labeled as the king of the Jews, but still be the savior of all? People were asking questions like, is Jesus, if Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, how can he redeem all nations? Peter himself wrestled with this question, you remember. The good news starts spreading. It goes to places like Samaria, and there's an Ethiopian that, that believes. And, and Peter's not sure what to do with all this, and so God gives him a dream. And in the dream, you remember, Peter sees clean and unclean animals lowered in this sheet together, and he's told by Jesus to eat them all. And through that vision, Peter sees that it's not just that all foods are now clean, but rather that all people are that Cornelius, who was downstairs the moment that moment after the dream ended, that Cornelius, a God-fearing Gentile, could be a member of God's worldwide multi-ethnic family. And from Cornelius, it just got even wilder as pagans and people from all over started coming to trust in Christ. We take this for granted. Acts reminds us that this is, this is an amazing thing, that we who are not the Jewish people are invited into God's kingdom. The fact that there's no royal bloodline that makes you a part of God's kingdom is amazing. God's kingdom doesn't work like British royalty. Wouldn't it be nice to be a part of British royalty, to have someone just give you a house and, I don't know, they looks like you don't have to do much. That would be really nice. I wouldn't even have to make my own coffee in the morning. But it doesn't work like British royalty. You, the God's kingdom, which is greater than that, you don't have to be born into a certain family. You don't have to marry a certain person to be a part of God's kingdom. No, we are children of God through faith in Jesus, faith that, that he came to live and to die and to rise again and to deal with sin and to conquer death and to welcome us in as heirs with Christ, right alongside all of the people who believe in Jesus. What a wonderful kingdom God is building in this world. And it's, it's a worldwide kingdom. It's open to all people, every nation. No one is excluded. Of course, not everyone rejoiced at this idea. Remember, in the book of Acts, some people would not join God's kingdom simply because of the people that were invited into it. And others from the inside pushed against this a little bit. Even among those who had accepted that the kingdom was to welcome all nations and people, there was this question about, well, what do we do with all these laws that God has given us, though? Were practices like circumcision and food laws to be laid aside? And so the, the final characteristic of the nature of God's kingdom that I, I want us to just remember that Acts teaches us is that God's kingdom is not subversive to Judaism, but it's the fulfillment of its promises that God's kingdom 
not only is not subversive to any earthly government, but it's not subversive to Judaism or not subversive to God's ways in the Old Testament, but rather it's the fulfillment of all of those things. It's the fulfillment of its promises. Christianity and the person of Jesus were not opposed to Judaism. Rather, Christianity and Christ brought, brought these things that God had spoken in the past to full light. So you remember Peter standing alongside James and Paul and Barnabas in the face of some upset Jewish leaders at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. Peter stands up in Acts 15, 10 and 11 and says some of my favorite words in the whole book of Acts. He says, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. What an amazing shift that happened in the book of Acts for people to understand that it's by grace through faith and to fully grasp that that's what it meant, that this is the fulfillment of everything that was spoken of in the Old Testament. Jesus, who fulfilled all righteousness, fulfills the law and transforms our whole understanding of what the kingdom is. In fact, the more that you think about it, the more apparent it becomes that the best way to describe the nature of God's kingdom is to say that it's a kingdom where Jesus is king. God's kingdom is the place where Jesus is king. And, and it's the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus that shape this kingdom. Jesus, as we think about him, he was not content with outward adherence to the law. He went after hard obedience. And so that's what the kingdom is about. It's about obeying God from our hearts. Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world. It's not physical, but it's spiritual. He's the one who began to open the door to all people. He's the one that cleared the court of the Gentiles in the temple. He's the one who predicted the destruction of the temple, knowing that the spirit was going to come and make a new temple. He's the one who fulfilled all righteousness who fulfilled all the prophecies of this messianic king. He's the one who honored earthly governments, but was more concerned about his kingdom of mercy and love and forgiveness and righteousness and justice. That's what he wanted to take root in people's hearts. That's what he wants to take root in our hearts. So the nature of God's kingdom is, is beyond anything we could ever imagine. It's beyond our, our preconceived ideas of what it would have looked like. It was beyond theirs and it's beyond ours because, because Jesus is amazing beyond our wildest dreams. He's better than anything we could have conceived of. And it's in him that as the church is walking and we watch the church begin to walk in the ways of Jesus and we start to see what the kingdom looks like. We look in Acts and we see people following Christ and we see what it looks like to live as members of this kingdom. I invite you to go back and read the stories. Don't just look at these principles, but read the stories and say, how do I walk in the ways that these people were walking and show forth the kingdom of God? Because it's, in, it's, it's how they were walking in Christ. And Jesus, his finished work, his revelatory teaching, his indwelling spirit, it's in him that we see what this kingdom is all about. Speaking of Jesus' spirit, let's, let's talk about the power of God's kingdom. So a few thoughts about the nature of God's kingdom. Now on to the, the power of God's kingdom. 
You remember that the title of this book is traditionally the Acts of the Apostles. So in other words, what the apostles did, their, their actions. But we also said that we could call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of the risen and ascended Jesus who sent the Spirit because it's, it's in the coming of the Spirit in Acts 2 that everything is, that follows is, is marked by that. It's the indwelling of the, in the indwelling of the Spirit that we find the, the power of God's kingdom. It was after being filled with the Spirit and speaking in the languages of all who were in Jerusalem for the Feast of, of Pentecost. It was after that that Peter preached the first sermon of the New Testament church. And in the same way, it was when he was filled with the Spirit that he and John gave their defense before the Jewish council after they were arrested. As the church was figuring out how to function well in love, they needed some people to help. And so what did they do? They chose deacons who were filled with the Spirit. And one of those deacons was Stephen. And Stephen became the first Christian martyr as he spoke boldly, filled with the Spirit who was giving him words to say. Everywhere the gospel went, everyone who believed was filled with the Spirit. And it was the Spirit who led Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch and to Samaria it was the Spirit who spoke to Peter when Cornelius showed up where he was staying. It was the Spirit who moved the church to set aside Barnabas and Paul for the work of the ministry. And at the Jerusalem Council, the leaders finally made the decision based on what seemed to good to them, but also what seemed good to the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit who was directing Paul all the time. The Spirit prevented him from going to Asia. The Spirit led him into Macedonia. The Spirit moved in his heart to go to Rome. The Spirit constrained Paul to go back to Jerusalem, even the whole time while the Spirit was saying and testifying that he was going to be in prison there. And it was the Spirit who encouraged him throughout his perilous journey on the way to Rome. The Spirit is the power that happened behind everything in the book of Acts. And it was the men and the women who were filled with the Spirit who accomplished all that God had called them to do in the building of the kingdom. But remember this, the coming of the Spirit didn't just empower what happened to the church in the book of Acts. It's, it's the same indwelling Spirit in believers now. It's the same, thing, same Spirit that the, that the church is filled with that is fueling all of the actions of the church of Jesus Christ. The power of the kingdom is found in the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that was there then is with us now. And as we yield to Him and allow Him to work through us, He builds His kingdom here on earth. God through the Spirit is still at work in this world just as He was in the book of Acts. And how was He at work? Through people. Through people who were followers of Christ. Through people who had believed in Jesus and been filled with the Spirit. Even last week, as we looked at Ephesians 4 with Encounter, we saw that the ascended Jesus is still giving the gifts of the Spirit to help grow the church as we all work together. And it's all of us working together that accomplished this. The book of Acts, while marked by the Spirit, is also filled with people. Wonderful people. People like you and like me. People who are, are weak people who fail, and people who aren't sure what they're supposed to do. It's filled with people who had families, people who had jobs, people who had responsibilities. It's filled with people who had religious baggage and people who had sketchy pasts and all different kinds of people. But people who were redeemed by Jesus and filled with his spirit. And it was those people 
It was Peter who had denied Christ. It was Paul who had persecuted Christians. It was John Mark who deserted Paul. It was Paul and Barnabas who fought about John Mark deserting them. And all these other people, it was flesh and blood people who built the church, not by their power, but by the power of God's spirit. The same spirit that you and I have if we have repented and believed in the gospel. And if that's true, then we can trust that God is going to continue to build his church by the power of his spirit in each one of us. That's how he does it. That's how he did it then. And that's how he continues to do it. And that's why we can join in on this. And that takes us nicely to the final thing I want to talk about, which is the endurance of God's kingdom. The endurance of God's kingdom. Just now I was reminded of uh, um, Joel and Evelyn's nephew, Dwight, who we met in the Philippines. And this weekend they're having an a, um, ultra-marathon in, uh, in the Philippines. I can't imagine having an ultra-marathon anywhere, but especially in the Philippines, right? They started at 10 p.m., two days, 50 kilometers. That's endurance, right? It's going to take a long time to get going that far in the heat and there's an endurance to God's kingdom. How long will it last? Will we have the strength to make it? Um, we begin the book of Acts with 120 disciples in an upper room in Jerusalem, wrestling with the fact that Jesus has left and told them that they're to be his witnesses and that they're not allowed to just stay in Jerusalem, but they got to go to Judea and Samaria. And then they've got to go to the ends of the earth. And even after the Spirit fills and empowers them, we don't see them leave Jerusalem until chapter 8. Not only that, but everywhere they go and proclaim the gospel, there's opposition. Disciples are beaten in the early days of the church and all throughout. Paul is almost killed on his first missionary journey, if not killed and resurrected. And the message is, is misunderstood. It's, it's rejected. There's disagreement and division within the church and within the followers of Christ. How's this thing going to last? And yet we find that Filled with the Spirit, the church endures. The Word spreads. You remember Luke's summary statements? They're peppered throughout this book, so let me remind you of these because Luke puts them in the Gospel of Acts to show us that Christ is continuing to build His church. No matter what happens, Luke is saying the Gospel is still going forward. The, the Word is going. The church is being built. The kingdom is coming. In the first one, in chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, after the coming of the Spirit, we read this, that day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Two chapters later, in chapter 4, verse 31, after John and Peter are released from prison, John tell, Luke tells us they get back together with the rest of the church, and it says that when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Persecution didn't stop them. The word kept going. Acts 5.42 tells us that every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. In Acts 6, 7, after they established deacons and deal with division in the church, we're told that the word of God continued to increase 
And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. In Acts 9.31, after hearing about Herod's death because he didn't give glory to God, uh, we're, we're told that... Um, I'm, I'm sorry, that's in chapter 12. This is in, in chapter 9, verse 31, it says that the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, so we're spreading, had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And then in chapter 12, it's when, it's when Herod is, is killed because he doesn't give glory to God. But in contrast, Acts 12, 24 says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. In the early days of Paul's second missionary journey, Acts 16.5 says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. And it was in Ephesus that we're told in Acts 19.20 that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So throughout this book, there's this thread that's being woven that the word is continuing to go forward. It's growing and increasing and enduring despite opposition. It's this theme of the word building up God's people and building God's kingdom, which then leads us all the way to the final summary statement. That's how, that's how Luke chooses to end. He ends with his final summary statement in the final words of Acts. And he tells us that the gospel made it. It got to the ends of the earth. That's what Rome represented. And while Paul was there, we're told that he was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Do you see how epic the conclusion of Acts is, actually? It, it's not a downer. It's not counter. Uh, it, it doesn't bring us down into some place where we're not seeing the beauty of what was happening. Rather, it's the picture that from this ragtag group of disciples, God's word and God's kingdom have continually been growing, that the word has endured, that the kingdom is going forward and that nothing can shut it up. Even if, it, even if Paul's in prison, the word will continue to go forward. It cannot die. The author Mark Twain was on a speaking tour in London and it was rumored that he had died. And an American newspaper printed his obituary. Uh, he was told this and he famously wrote in a letter to the New York Journal saying in part, the report of my death was an exaggeration. Um, classic Mark Twain. But to think that because Paul was in prison, therefore the gospel would not go forward. That would be like saying that a person walking around London was dead and buried. That Paul was in prison, yeah. But the word, the message of the kingdom of God and forgiveness through Jesus continued to sound forth. Paul himself uh, probably said it best. This is what he wrote to Timothy from prison in 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 13. This is the encouragement that, that I just love from Paul. He begins, he says, remember Jesus Christ. What a great phrase to just live our lives by. Remember Jesus Christ. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached into my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. It's unhindered. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they, may, they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. 
This saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The word of God is not bound, and it never will be. The church endures. The gospel endures. Why? Because Jesus endures. If death couldn't stop Christ and his kingdom, then nothing will ever stop God's kingdom. It will go forward unhindered. And the book of Acts invites us to be a part of that. We're invited to be a part of something that will never fail. We're invited to join in on the unstoppable, ever-expanding, spirit-empowered spread of the good word of Jesus to all people for the glory of God. To join in on declaring the good news of God's kingdom. And we can do it knowing that nothing will ever stop, nothing will ever imprison or hinder God's work in this world. It's a kingdom unlike any other. It's empowered by God's spirit. It's going to endure for all eternity. And it endures because Jesus empowers us. And it endures because of what Christ accomplished through his death and resurrection. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church. He's the foundation of the kingdom. And so nothing can ever shake it. Today we get to take up the bread and the cup. And we do that in remembrance of Jesus. But as I as we close out the book of Acts, I want us to also remember that we do it amongst this great cloud of witnesses who are members with us of God's kingdom. That we take up the bread and the cup because it's been passed down to us by faithful brothers and sisters beginning all the way back here in the book of Acts and even beyond. We take up the Lord's Supper in the shadow of Peter and James and John in the shadow of Stephen and Philip, of Paul and Barnabas and Silas, of Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos, and so many of these other saints that we've watched preserve the gospel and go forward, empowered by the Spirit. And we take it 2,000 years later. Why? Because the kingdom has endured. The Word of God has gone forth unhindered. Nothing could stop it, and nothing can stop it. And we will continue to take this until Jesus returns and the dwelling place of God is finally with men and women.